Uh, well, friends, I, I don't know about you, but I hate going to the doctor for an annual checkup. Uh, I absolutely hate waiting in the waiting room with those trashy magazines. Uh, I don't like having to admit to the unhealthy food that I've been having, perhaps the KFC. Uh, I don't like the needles that uh, take my blood. But uh, I know that the once-a-year checkup is good for me. I, I know that the doctor finds out things about me that will help me, uh, things that I otherwise would not have known, if only I would listen to him. Uh, now, we've been looking at the book of Revelation for the past few weeks, and um, I want to suggest that chapters 2 and 3 feel a little bit like going to the doctor for an annual checkup. Uh, in these chapters, the, the risen and glorious Lord Jesus Christ, like a great physician, starts to dig beneath the surface and he knows the things that are going on in our individual lives, but not only in our individual lives, but in the life of our church as well. Uh, one of the things that Jesus repeats, and you may have seen this, is the phrase, I know your works. I know what you are really like. However, it will be a mistake to see these chapters as Jesus condemning his church. Uh, yes, he does see everything that is going on, and in that sense, it is true that as we read Jesus' words, it's not only us who read his words, but it's his word that reads us. And yet, even as Jesus knows us, or shows us, not only the good things uh, in our church, but all the problems and ugliness and the sinfulness of the church, he says these things ultimately not to condemn the church, but to love the church and to transform the church and to build the church up. I think you can see the spirit in which Jesus writes these letters um, right towards the end. If you turn with me to chapter 3, verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19, uh, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, verse 19, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, I used to think that these verses were, um, you know, evangelistic. Say, you know, saying that Jesus knocks on the door of the non-Christian person because he wants to have a relationship with them. But uh, I was taught this week that uh, that's not actually what's going on here. Uh, Jesus is knocking on the door, uh, not of the non-Christian person, but actually he's knocking on the door of his church because he desires to have a deeper relationship with his people, even if he has some very sobering things to say so as to jolt them into action. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, will you and I listen uh, to these words of Jesus this morning as he speaks to us in love? Uh, now, for those of us who are 
who weren't able to join us last week, uh, we looked at chapter 2, and we saw that uh, the first four churches in Asia Minor were addressed there. But today we're going to look at chapter 3, and we're going to look at the final three churches and see how Jesus diagnoses their spiritual health. Uh, It's a bit of an arbitrary way of doing it, I know, Um, but uh, we've done it this way just in the interest of time. Uh, But I just want us to keep in mind as we look at these things that the things Jesus says to all seven of his churches, uh, seven being the number of completeness, if you remember, is actually relevant to the entire church of Jesus Christ, uh, including church at nine. Well, now, uh, the first church that Jesus diagnoses there is the church in Sardis, and this church is the dying church, the dying church. Now, the thing about the dying church is that often it can seem very much alive. You can see there midway through verse 1 that the church in Sardis has a reputation for being alive. Other churches think that this church is alive. You know, perhaps they had good teaching. You know, there there is no mention of false teachers in the church at Sardis. Perhaps they had good morality. You know, there is no mention of sexual immorality and idolatry in this church. And yet, devastatingly, Jesus says to this church, you are dead. Now, friends, I find this deeply troubling. I wonder whether you find this troubling as well. Can churches with good teaching eventually die? Now, they are not completely dead, for you can see in verse 4 that even within this dying church, there are some who are alive and living a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, And yet, even though there is good teaching and uh, good morality on the surface, well, Jesus' diagnosis is that they are dying. What is going on here? Well, it's a little hard to say, but I think uh, we're given a few clues here as to what is going on on in this church. Uh, For example, at the end of verse 2, Jesus says, you'll see, that he has not found their works to be complete in the sight of God. In other words, they were not doing what they ought to have been doing. What is this thing that they should have been doing? Well, I think, friends, that the thing they should have been doing is the work of publicly witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of publicly witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is dying because most of the church are not prepared to publicly identify themselves as belonging to Jesus. Now, why do I think this is the incomplete work? Well, if you have a look at the end of verse 5, notice that Jesus says to the few who are alive in this church, he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, uh, I wonder whether that sounds familiar to you. Um, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. 
Uh, it may sound familiar to us because, uh, if you remember, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew uh, at our church uh, this year. And do you remember in Matthew chapter 10, uh, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. You see, the ones whom, God, uh, whom Jesus will confess and acknowledge before the Father in heaven are the ones who acknowledge Jesus before men. What is at issue here is the willingness to acknowledge Jesus in public. This is not a call to be the world's best evangelist. It's not a call to know all the answers. But to be Christian means to acknowledge Jesus in public, both through our actions as well as our words and our public declaration of the gospel. In the office, in the playground, in the midst of friends. You know, it is possible for churches to have the form of Christianity, but not the substance. It is possible for churches to have the Christian ritual, but have no life, because they are ultimately not about the public witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And sooner or later, these churches will die. Sydney is littered with churches that are dying. I wonder whether Jesus would say that we are a dying and lifeless church in that regard. Are we a church with the reputation of being alive, but is showing little sign of real vitality? Well, friends, the second church that you see there is the church in Philadelphia. Uh, not the Philadelphia in America, but the Philadelphia in Asia Minor. And uh, I want to call this church the Powerfully Enduring Church. The Powerfully Enduring Church. Uh, but you wouldn't know that this was a powerful church just by looking at it, because from the world's point of view, it would look far from being a powerful group of people. Uh, in verse 8, Jesus says that he knows that in worldly terms they have very little power. Uh, why would they have very little power? Uh, well, I think it's because they were a persecuted church, and in particular they were persecuted by the Jews. Uh, as we saw last week, uh, the, the, Jew, the Jewish people were a protected people in the Roman Empire. Uh, if you belong to the Jewish synagogue, then uh, you would be protected by law from having to uh, worship the Roman emperor which was good news for the Jews because, well, they believed that there was only one God and that the Roman emperor was not to be worshipped. But it seems that the Jews were excluding the Christians who themselves considered uh, themselves to be Jew, uh, the, the true Jews. The Jews were excluding the Christians from the synagogue such that the Christians ceased to be protected under this law. And that's why in verse 9, Jesus calls the Jews the synagogue of Satan, behind their persecution of Christians, was the work of Satan himself. And so, because the Christians were not protected 
in the Roman Empire, well, they would have been forced to either worship the emperor, Caesar, or face persecution. And if they didn't worship the emperor and bow the knee to the emperor, then they would have lost their jobs, they would have faced discrimination in the trade guilds that they uh, would have been a part of, they would have lost all worldly power and influence. You know, all they had to do was deny the name of Jesus before the Roman government, and yet they refused to do so. And in verse 8, Jesus says, You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. And in verse 9, he says to the church that this is the church that he loves. This is the church that Jesus adores. This is the church that is the apple of his eye. You know, this is often what happens when Christians are opposed by the religious establishment. Uh, Some of you might know that in New Zealand, the Anglican Church has recently voted to bless same-sex marriages. Uh, Now, what do you do if you are a church who wants to stay true to Jesus' words, and yet your denomination is seeking to bless same-sex marriages? Well, uh, one church I know has recently made the decision to leave the Anglican denomination. And uh, that might not seem like a, like a big deal, but what you have to realise is that that decision has involved leaving their church buildings behind, which are owned by the Anglican church, uh, leaving the minister's house behind, which is owned by the Anglican church, and leaving a large part of their bank balance behind. And yet, for the sake of not denying Jesus and his words, they have left all these things behind uh, to start afresh in a little rented building. Uh, Just uh, this week, I received a message from the pastor's family, uh, who my wife and I are friends with, and uh, the wife said that Steve, uh, who's the name of the pastor, almost broke down on that first Sunday because he knew the personal cost that each member of the church had to go through in order to start afresh in this way. No power, no bank account, no buildings, but powerful in Jesus' eyes, enduring and loved by Jesus. And friends, uh, I wonder whether if that day ever came uh, to Sydney whether we would equally powerfully endure in that way. Um, It's uh, not unthinkable for something like that to happen in Australia. Would you be prepared to lose all worldly forms of power to not deny the Lord Jesus in your life? Well, the final church that you see there is the church in Laodicea. And uh, this is the lukewarm church, the lukewarm church. Uh, Now, it turns out that the region around Laodicea was famous um, for its spring water. Apparently, one of the neighboring cities was famous for its hot springs, which had certain vitamins and minerals and medicinal properties. Uh, And another neighboring city was famous for its cold springs, which was uh, 
you know, uh, clean and refreshing and life-giving. But uh, in the city of Laodicea, they just had uh, this uh, water trickling into the city that was lukewarm and contaminated and, you know, uh, vomit-inducing. If you drank this water, you would want to cough it up. Uh, now, this is a genuinely new thing I learned this week in this passage, friends. Uh, when Jesus says in verse 14 that he would rather this church be hot or cold, um, I used to think that meant that he, he would rather see a church that is hot and very zealous for, for Jesus or actually dead and cold and lifeless than you know, a church that is just kind of meandering in the middle. But uh, I don't think that's what he's saying here because... Uh, both the hot springs and the cold springs around the city of Laodicea were good springs. They were the healthy ones. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he wants his church to be healthy. Not like this church that is lukewarm and only worthy of being vomited out. But what is it that made this church nauseous to Jesus? Well, you can see there that it is because they have become proud and self-centered and self-sufficient because of their wealth. Uh, in verse 17, Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, you see, material riches can have this kind of deceptive effect on us, can't it? Uh, the more and more rich I get, the more I start to think that it's because of my strength and my power and my ability. And I forget about the Jesus who gives me my strength and my power and my ability. The more and more rich I get, the more I think, well, I can provide for all my needs. And I forget about my greatest need, which is Jesus himself. And Jesus says that if that happens, you can be as rich as this world can possibly offer you, but you are immeasurably poor. Now, friends, this is a serious thing, don't you think? For you and I, whether we like it or not, are rich people. Are our material riches making us forget about the Lord Jesus Christ? Are our material riches making us arrogant and self-serving rather than humbly serving Jesus and his people? It is a reality that those who are rich and committed to riches find it very hard to be committed to the church and humbly and consistently serving others. And if that is you this morning, then it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. What Jesus would say to you is that you are poor, wretched, pitiable, blind, and naked. And so, friends, that is the painful diagnosis that Jesus gives to his church. And uh, I don't know about you, but as we've worked our way through these seven churches, I've not only seen that uh, all these things have particular 
application to me, but uh, all of the things mentioned about the seven churches are things that we see in our own church as well, isn't it? Uh, In our staff meeting this week, uh, our senior minister, Kevin, said, this is the church that I know. Whether you are backsliding like Ephesus, suffering and being faithful like Smyrna, doctrinally compromising like Pergamum, morally compromising like Thyatira, dying like Sardis, enduring like Philadelphia, or lukewarm like Laodicea. This is the church that we know. Well, if that is the diagnosis of Jesus, the master physician, then uh, what is the treatment that we need? Uh, If you and I are spiritually dying or facing persecution or our riches are making us lukewarm, then uh, where do we go for help? Well, the first place we need to go is to Jesus and his words. For he is the one with the spiritual resources that we need in order to be healthy again. Uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but at the beginning of each of these letters to the seven churches, uh, Jesus gives a, a different description about himself. And uh, each of these descriptions of Jesus is just what the particular church needs in order to regain their health. And so, for example, think about Sardis. Uh, The church in Sardis is a dying church. What does a dying church need? Well, if you have a look at verse 1, it describes Jesus. Verse 1, Jesus is described as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Uh, We've seen already, haven't we, that the seven spirits of God is the Holy Spirit and the seven stars are the messengers of Jesus who uh, I think are the, the, the leaders of the church who teach the word of God. And so what does a dying church need? Well, it needs the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit, working through the preaching of God's word, which is exactly what Jesus holds in his hand. Well, think about the church in Philadelphia. This church is a persecuted church. Uh, what does the church, persecuted church need? Well, if you have a look down at verse 7, uh, verse 7, Jesus is described as the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. The key of David is a reference to Isaiah 22, which looks forward to a king who will have the the authority to open up the doors to the kingdom of heaven for everyone who he wants in, and to shut the doors to the kingdom of heaven to everyone he wants to shut out. And so what does the persecuted church need? Well, it needs the comfort of knowing that Jesus is the one who has promised to open the door to the kingdom of heaven to them. To open the door to eternal life. They need to know that his word is powerful, for he is the Holy One. And that his word is trustworthy, for he is the true one. And finally, think about the church in Laodicea. Uh, This is the lukewarm church. Uh, What does a lukewarm church need? Well, if you look down at verse 14, verse 14, Jesus is described as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. 
Uh, when Jesus mentions that he is the beginning of God's creation, uh, he's talking about his resurrection, which is the beginning of the new creation, which will endure forever. And so what, what does the lukewarm church need? Well, they need to go to Jesus and receive from him resurrection power that will help them to live the resurrection life. But friends, uh, I just want to point out that these things do not happen automatically and without any effort on your part and on my part. For you will see again and again that Jesus calls for repentance. Now, repenting does not simply mean feeling sorry for the things that we've done. You know, have you ever felt like this? Um, I think I feel like this uh, sometimes. You know, you come to church and you hear a, a, you know, a, ch- a sermon that's rebuking or you read a part of the Bible, pas- Bible where it's quite rebuking and correcting and you just feel kind of sorry and you know things need to change. But the New Testament says that the kind of sorrow that just wallows in sorrow without going any further is the kind of sorrow that leads to death. What Jesus is speaking about here is not just feeling sorry, but a genuine change of mind that will result in a genuine change and transformation of life. And so what does he require of the church in Sardis who are spiritually dying because of their lack of witness for the Lord Jesus? Well, he says in verse 2 that they are to wake up. And in verse 3, to remember the gospel that that they had received and to start living in the light of that gospel. What does it mean for us? Well, it might mean that we start to pray for those around us who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. It may mean asking someone at church how you might get trained so that you can know how to do it better. It may mean taking a few tentative steps to speaking about Jesus with those who you regularly spend time with. But friends, it cannot mean doing nothing. That is not repentance, you see. Now, Jesus doesn't mention repentance to the church in Philadelphia who are patiently enduring in their faith. Uh, He simply encourages them to hold fast and to keep on going, keep on running that race until you have that crown rewarded to you. But what does repentance look like for the church in Laodicea who are lukewarm in their faith? Well, you can see there in, in verse 18 that Jesus says these words. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve or eye drops to anoint your eyes so that you may see. In other words, what Jesus is saying is for you and I to seek real riches not in our material wealth and our bank balance, but to seek real riches in the gospel. The gold refined by fire is the purity 
that comes from believing the gospel. The white garment is the righteousness that Jesus clothes us in to cover up our nakedness and shame when we believe in the cross. The anointing of the eyes is the renewed vision to live for the gospel. Now, seeking our riches in the gospel over seeking our riches in material things may mean different things for uh, different people. For some of us, it may mean giving away more of our riches so that we start to loosen our grip on the idolatry of money. And we start to grow more in our dependence on God. For others of us, it may mean that we find a lesser paying job because we know that the current job that we have has become our idol and it's taking us more further and further away from humbly seeking and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For others of us, it may mean that we commit ourselves to knowing the gospel better, perhaps joining a growth group, spending more time in the word so that we might discover the true riches that we can find there. But whatever it is, repentance cannot mean doing nothing. That is not repentance. My friends, please do not be fooled. Ongoing lack of repentance will lead to death. But those who truly belong to Jesus will be the ones who hear his voice. And however imperfectly, and I know that progress is sometimes slow, they will be the ones who live changed lives and follow Jesus all the way to eternal life. Uh, Well, friends, I don't know about you, but whenever I um, read passages like Revelation 2 to 3, um, there are so many things that Jesus exposes in me that uh, I kind of feel like I've gone 12 rounds with Mike Tyson. And uh, I have so many things to repent of, and I wonder whether I can actually do it. Is that the way you feel sometimes when you kind of read passages like this? Uh, Many of the things that Jesus asks of me here seem humanly impossible, and I think it's easy to feel quite discouraged. Uh, Some of the things that Jesus says can even seem cruel. I mean, look at the church in Sardis. They're, They're almost dying, and what does Jesus say to them? He says, wake up. You know, just imagine you're in a serious car accident. Uh, You feel pain everywhere, and you know you have broken limbs. Uh, There is glass everywhere, and you're bleeding. Uh, There's a nasty gash in your head, and you know you have a serious head injury. You are barely conscious and hanging on to life. Uh, You hear the sirens wailing, and before you know it, you are rushed to hospital. But imagine if the doctor just comes in and says, you know, wake up. It almost seems cruel, doesn't it? But friends, the thing I want us to see is that on our own, following Jesus is humanly impossible. In my sin, it is impossible for me to repent and live the way that Jesus wants me to live. 
But the wonderful thing about the gospel is that if you and I trust in Jesus, then he promises to give you and me the resources to repent and to turn and to live the way he wants us to. And the greatest resource that he gives to us is himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's why even though each of these letters begins with the words of Jesus, well, you'll notice there that they end with the work of the Spirit. Verse 6, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse uh, verse, uh, 13, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 22, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so will you and I listen to the Spirit? These things are not beyond us, for if you and I belong to Jesus, then the Scriptures remind us that the Spirit lives within us, and the Spirit strengthens us and empowers us and gives us life and health and transformation. And so will we listen to him this morning? Will we repent of the things that we need to repent of? And will we be the kind of church, the healthy church, that Jesus wants us to be? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus which are sharper than a double-edged sword and able to cut to the heart of what we are like. Thank you that he is the great physician who can tell us the truth of our condition uh, as a church as well as individually. Father, some of us are powerfully enduring in our Christian lives and we need encouragement from you. Uh, Fathers, others of us are struggling to remain spiritually uh, vibrant. Uh, Some of us are growing, while others of us are lukewarm in our faith. But we pray that your word this morning will help us to see our condition and that we will not hide these things from you, but go to you for help. Uh, Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus. Uh, We thank you that he disciplines us out of his love for us. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit who empowers us to live lives worthy of you. And so we pray that you would help us to be a people who listen to your spirit, who listen to your word, and that our lives would be marked by genuine repentance and the joy of knowing and loving and serving and following the Lord Jesus who died for us and rose to life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.